Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, offering hybrid doctorates, K-12 leadership, higher education, and math education. Combine online and face-to-face courses to graduate in three years. Details at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 830. I'm Karen Brown. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, getting young African-American voters excited about the upcoming presidential election. Their vote really does count because we let them know and we show them that, okay, well, if you had had not voted um, previously, then the things that you were concerned about won't get fixed. So if you vote, you have a voice to be heard. If you don't, then no one will hear you. Then a U.S. Department of Agriculture plan to help landowners continue to recover from the effects of the BP oil spill. Later, a StoryCorps conversation from Mississippi on remembering an historic presidential candidate and making sure children with diabetes get the right diagnosis. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Tougaloo College chapter of the NAACP is trying to step up participation by young African-American voters in Mississippi. Only 38 percent of eligible young voters in the United States voted in the 2012 presidential election. That's according to the U.S. Census. This follows a decades-long trend downward in youth voter participation nationwide, but it's one the Tougaloo NAACP wants to change in Mississippi. Tonight, the group is hosting the state woke and vote college tour on the campus of Tougaloo. Marquise Hunt, president of the NAACP chapter on campus, tells us the effort tonight is part of a nationwide push. This is a national initiative that is being led by the youth and college division um, across the country uh, to bring awareness to voting with our younger generation and to make sure that they also understand the importance of this November 8th election. What do you hear from young people about why they don't vote, why they don't register? The thing that I mainly hear is they feel as if their vote really doesn't count. So when it's time for the voting season, and that's not even on just on the national level, that's national, state and local level, they feel as if it really doesn't matter. So they don't have the urge to get up and vote. Do you have the data that suggests how uh, if it's different in different parts of the country? Like, do you know how Mississippi ranks in terms of uh, young people not registered, especially young black people? Well, just getting here, and I've been here for about a month, and what I have noticed is that the last election that they had, we only had five people to vote here on campus. Um, And then with the most recent election with the uh, Mississippi House of Representatives for District 72 uh, between Sonoris Green and Deborah Gibbs, 
there were only 18 students who voted. Um, and this campus has 900 students. So that can kind of tell you, you know, how many people are really concerned about voting. What is your goal? The goal is to have not only the students here at Tougaloo College to get up and vote, but the Mississippians and also each individual across this country who are eligible to vote to register, vote, and make their voices heard. Is there an effort now in particular among African Americans because of this presidential election? Yes, there is. We have to stop reacting um, and be proactive when it comes to things like this. And as an African-American culture, we have to realize that there are some things that, you know, we might not agree with or, you know, we might not look at the same. So if we are quiet, no one would know. So people can't just assume that we think of or feel a certain way if we don't speak up and say something. Will you register people at this event or show people how to register? We will definitely be showing people how to register. We are working to get computers and everything um, up so that we can have people register to vote if they are not already registered. And the deadline is coming up. Uh, I think it's October 8th is the deadline to register. This event tonight, tell us what time, where it's taking place. The event event tonight will be taking place at the historic Tougaloo College in the Woodworth Chapel. Um, That event will begin at 7 p.m. We will have a number of guest speakers from national state and local level um, to talk about the importance of voting and making sure that our youth and our community um, understands the importance of voting as it relates to as it relates to our future. Because of the apparent apathy with five voters and then 18 voters, what are you doing to entice people to attend the meeting? Giving them a reason why they should vote, um, letting them know that their vote really does count because we let them know and we show them that, okay, well, if you had had not voted um, previously, then the things that you were concerned about won't get fixed. So if you vote, you have a voice to be heard. If you don't, then no one will hear you. Do you hope for a certain number of attendees to register? Tonight, we are expecting 300 individuals to come and participate in this event. All right. So they register. And do you expect, if they've registered, do you expect Mm -hmm. the same number of those registered to vote in the November election? I, I expect an increase. An increase. an increase. Well, we wish you luck. That's tonight, 7 o'clock, where? At Tougaloo College in the historic Woodworth Chapel. Stay woke and vote college tour. We've been speaking with Marquise Hunt. He is president of the NAACP chapter for Tougaloo College. Thanks, Marquise. No problem. Thank you so much. Up next, the U.S. Department of Agriculture plan to help landowners continue to recover from the effects of the BP oil spill. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Jeremy Hobson. As our series on climate change continues, what about the politics? Some politicians won't accept the science, but it turns out voters' attitudes are changing. People tend to want to reduce greenhouse gases if you ask them, uh, and, and they tend to say that they would be willing to pay a little bit to do that, too. That's next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio. Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. Hi, I'm Kevin Farrell, Assistant Director of MPB Think Radio. Our recent drive time is history, and the results are, well, amazing. We challenged you to step up with your financial support, and you responded, contributing $81,000 in just one day. 
will use the money to help keep quality radio programs on the air. We want to say thanks to everyone who contributed, and thanks also to our sustaining members who provide ongoing monthly support. We value this unique partnership, and we can't do it without you. Thanks again. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A $328 million plan is in place to help landowners recover from the effects of the 2010 BP oil spill. The plan was announced yesterday by USDA Undersecretary for Natural Resources and Environment Robert Bonney in Mississippi. Bonney says the money is meant to improve water quality and help ecosystems in Gulf states heal. Kavanaugh Brazil of the USDA tells us the three-year plan for the money should be of great interest to farmers and other landowners. We have been excited about recently a, a waterway in South Mississippi called Orphan Creek that because of these programs that have already been implemented into that area, Orphan Creek has now been removed from the national list of impaired streams. So now it's off of that I guess you're going to say a bad list of streams. And it's all good news now that that area is producing quality water that's, that's uh, better than it has been before. Essentially, we're talking about restoration of the ecosystem along the Gulf Coast? Yes, ma'am. Because of the deep water horizon oil spill, a lot of programs have been implemented to help assist with the cleanup and, and the restoration of the ecosystem on the coasts of Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida. Of course, Mississippi is a recipient of a lot of these programs that help and assist private landowners uh, with programs that benefit them to help restore clean water and keep nutrients from running downstream into the Gulf of Mexico. So this is also helping with uh, soil erosion? Absolutely. There's many programs out there. Some of the benefits and practices that controls soil nutrient runoff, helps with soil sediment and soil erosion. Again, all of these are to help with cleaning the water and helping the ecosystem downstream. Are all of these benefits for private landowners only or are public lands involved as well? These benefits are mainly for private landowners. How much money is being designated for this project? The NRCS has invested over $328 $328 million. Now, that covers uh, some of the programs that have already been implemented, but basically our announcement was to mention that more uh, funds have been put in to enhance the program to go through 2018. So that's when it's expected to, to be completed, all of the improvements? That's an ongoing program is to keep enhancing the water quality in the lands of Mississippi. So 2018, hopefully we will have other programs that will implement more opportunities for private landowners to take advantage of. Kavanaugh, when we talk about improvements to the ecosystem and water, does that include wildlife? Absolutely. Wildlife is always part of the natural resources conservation system services programs. Uh, You know, a lot of the programs that we mentioned here are, are aimed at phosphorus, runoff of phosphorus, nitrogen, and fertilizer, and basically sediments that run off of these lands and go south or go south towards the Gulf Coast. Basically, some of these programs basically eliminate approximately 70% of sediment loss, approximately 30% of nitrogen loss, and approximately 40% of phosphorus loss 
per acre. Cavanaugh Brazil is with the Natural Resources Conservation Service, which is part of the United States Department of Agriculture. Cavanaugh, thank you very much for some good information today. Thank you, ma'am. Up next, a StoryCorps conversation from Mississippi on remembering a historic presidential candidate. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keep you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. Join me each Tuesday for Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. Each week we explore issues that relate to you and your family, from mental obstacles to family interaction, from depression to handling life's disruptions, discovering things that make you happy, or how to get around things keeping you from your happiness. I want to hear what's going on in your life. Relatively Speaking, part of the Daily Southern Remedy series, this morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. Hello, I'm Jonas Adams, and I just had to take some time to say thank you. You stood tall and showed us just how much you value MPB Think Radio. The support you showed during our One Day, One Drive, One Goal campaign was absolutely amazing, and we just can't say thank you enough. We took a big gamble switching our fall drive from two weeks to one day, and because of you, it paid off tremendously. Thank you so much for supporting MPB Think Radio. In 1983, the Reverend Jesse Jackson became only the second African-American to run for the Democratic presidential nomination. In this Mississippi stop on the StoryCorps mobile tour, Louis Armstrong reminisces about that campaign with his son, Artie Armstrong. I remember we registered in uh, Tunica County. We registered an 86-year-old woman who had never registered to vote because she grew up in fear of the Klan who had attacked her father for him attempting to vote. So she never registered, but she registered that day, and she said she was going to vote for Jesse Jackson for president. Wow. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's an interesting story because I remember I was a teenager during that time, mm-hmm. and I have vivid memories of that summer. I think one of the most interesting things to me, you know, I've always been offended even in our own community, sometimes when I talk to people today and, you know, they are too critical of uh, Reverend Jackson about some of his human frailties, because I think about the time, I think the most significant thing that I remember from about that experience was that I can remember every place that we went they were threatening to kill him before he went there. He wasn't committing any crimes. All he was doing was basically uh, just exercising his freedom as an American citizen. I can remember just as a kid, Dad, that some of the stops that we would make that you know, I wasn't comfortable with getting off the Winnebago's. <laughs> but you guys would get off, and I can remember there were journalists from all over the world yeah. that would yeah, travel exactly. in some of the Winnebago's with us. Yeah, exactly. And I can remember meeting the different journalists and talking to them and 
engaging in conversations and it was you know it was an incredible time and i can remember your classmate mr eugene bailey and he yeah, was he one of the with, drivers for the sure caravan did. and i can remember spending a lot of time with him and him sharing with me that this was an historic event that we were undertaking hmm. i think there's no question in my mind that reverend jackson laid the foundation to propel Barack Obama to the presidency today. In my mind, he had tremendous courage. I laugh with people all the time. Most people won't go to the won't go to the corner store again ever in life if somebody threatens their life. You know, if that's a part of their travels, and he, he lived with it every day. Of course, we had security. When he was in Jackson, he had Jackson police officers who were off-duty would volunteer and provide security for him. And all around the state, you had folks who volunteered, who were security officers who volunteered to do that. I don't know if you remember, Jesse came to Jackson and after we had been out on the road for about four days, and he had uh, Jerry Brown with him. Jerry Brown was then the former governor of California. Right. Of course, he ran recently. And, and it's the current governor. Is the current governor right. of California. So, And we played basketball in the... At the at, park. At the park. Remember yeah, yeah, I remember it vividly because me and Reverend Jackson were on the same team <laughs> and he doesn't pass the basketball at all. Well, is that where you learned that not to pass the basketball? <laughs> so I thought that was hilarious. I mean, I enjoyed playing with him. But uh, he's definitely a shooter. He's a ball. No doubt. <laughs> he's a ball hog. Okay. Yeah, <clears throat> but we had a great time. And uh, Jesse Jr. played with us as yeah, well. Yeah, so I remember yeah. that vividly. It was a great time. And uh, uh, so those were some great experiences. And, you know, I always tell people when I speak about you is that my father may have not been a millionaire, but he gave me a million dollars worth of exposure. <laughs> to hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps Mobile Tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps Mobile Tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Americans have a big decision to make on November 8th. A date which will live not in Mr. Gorbachev. We will keep this promise to the American people. Be informed. Listen to this station every day. Hello, I'm Jonas Adams, and I just had to take some time to say thank you. You stood tall and showed us just how much you value MPB Think Radio. The support you showed during our One Day, One Drive, One Goal campaign was absolutely amazing, and we just can't say thank you enough. We took a big gamble switching our fall drive from two weeks to one day, and because of you, it paid off tremendously. Thank you so much for supporting MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
About 1,600 children in Mississippi have diabetes, according to the Diabetes Foundation of Mississippi. But the group says children are sometimes misdiagnosed with other illnesses, which can be deadly. This is especially a concern as the flu season approaches and diabetic symptoms can sometimes be mistaken for respiratory infections. Robin Curtis of Hattiesburg has a daughter with type 1 diabetes, which was initially misdiagnosed. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the experience was scary. She was on the verge of being in a coma, and I took her in having no idea what was wrong with her. I thought maybe she had pneumonia because she was breathing very heavily. And um, as soon as we got there, the nurse took one look at her and could tell. She knew right away um, that she had it. Now, we had previously taken her to her regular family doctor um, less than two days before, and they were not able to diagnose it and told us that she must just have a little viral bug or something coming on. And so you said they gave her two prescriptions and sent her home. Uh, They did. They gave her a steroid, which actually raises blood sugar. So for a type 1 diabetic who was not being treated with insulin, that was absolutely the worst medication she could have been given. Um, And they also gave us an antibiotic. They said just in case, even though they had tested her uh, for strep and it was negative and she did not have a fever or other signs of bacterial infection, um, they still did prescribe that antibiotic without even being able to tell us what they would have been treating exactly. What were some of the symptoms that she was having? She was very tired. She was lethargic. Um, She said she just didn't feel well. She didn't have a fever or anything like that, and she couldn't give us more um, explicit description of what was wrong with her. Um, And just over the course of, it was almost a week exactly, you just could tell she was, she was definitely, you know, she went from a little tired to just something's really wrong. Um, She wasn't able to concentrate as well. She wasn't interested in eating. Uh, She complained of some nausea, and she gradually began to sort of seem to have some difficulty breathing, and she said her throat hurt. Um, And so she was drinking water, uh, she said, to soothe her throat. Um, Of course, once she was diagnosed with diabetes, you know, we became aware that, you know, that's what she thought, but actually she was thirsty because of um, the acidosis that was occurring in her in her body. So those were all symptoms. Um, she had also lost um, really a large amount of weight in a very short amount of time. Um, and that was another one where in retrospect, you know, we saw that between her last two doctor's appointments, which she had had a regular checkup, and then uh, we took her in, you know, when she was ill, and she had lost about 10 pounds in just over a week. And that's a lot of weight to lose it is. so quickly. Mm-hmm. It definitely, definitely is. When you talk about type 1 diabetes, what have you learned about it? We say diabetes and people associate that with adults because they're thinking of type 2 diabetes. Um, type 2 diabetes is a completely different uh, phenomenon. It can be impacted by lifestyle factors, though we also know there's a real heavy genetic component. Type 2 diabetes runs in families. I mean, you are usually almost always diagnosed as an adult. 
Um, and so, unfortunately, often people don't distinguish between the two. And so if they hear diabetes, they just think type 2. And so people say a lot of things like, oh, does she eat a lot of candy or something like that? Um, type 1 diabetes is um, it's called insulin-dependent diabetes, and that's an autoimmune disorder when the patient's autoimmune system attacks their pancreas, and it, it kills their beta cells, which are what produces insulin for your body. And so once that happens, um, you know, almost always by the time of diagnosis, their pancreas is essentially making little to no insulin, and we have to have insulin at all times to live. Um, type 2 diabetic do produce insulin, they're just not able to regulate it well. And so that's why usually type 2 diabetics are, are often able to control um, their diabetes with uh, diet and exercise and sometimes oral medications. But type 1 diabetics need insulin to live. They have to have it at all times. When you heard that your child had diabetes, was it just like a complete shock? Uh, well, I was aware uh, that there was, so we used to call type 1 uh, juvenile diabetes. And then as we learned more, we found out that sometimes um, people don't, it doesn't fully develop until adulthood. And so we stopped using that title so that uh, people knew that if you have you know, what looks like a healthy, say, 26-year-old, but they've got all those signs and they have a high blood sugar, that's a type 1 diabetic. It's not type 2. In the past, we would have wrongly diagnosed them um, as type 2 just because of their age. So I was aware, you know, I, I remembered Marlo Thomas, and, and I knew there was a diabetes that children got, and I knew that they had to take insulin, but I really didn't know much more than that. MPB's Desiree Frazier with Robin Curtis of Hattiesburg. Her daughter's illness was initially misdiagnosed before it was discovered she had diabetes. Coming up after Mississippi Edition, it's Money Talks in Legal Terms and Southern Remedy. And remember, if you want to catch the show outside the broadcast, search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. Thanks for listening. Listen tomorrow at 830 for Mississippi Edition. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, offering hybrid doctorates, K-12 leadership, higher education, and math education. Combine online and face-to-face -face courses to graduate in three years. Details at education.olemiss.edu. It's Marketplace Tech for Tuesday.